As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is a repeat guest and one I'm really looking forward to having another conversation with. JP Nurban. How's it going, JP? It's good, man. It's great great to be back on here. Appreciate the opportunity. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So, um, the appreciation is definitely coming from me. But before we get into the thick of it, maybe just give a brief rundown for those who maybe didn't catch the first time run, who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm uh, you know, first off, um, relevant to this podcast, I'm, I'm a coach, was a basketball coach, played basketball at um, a decently high level in the States uh, growing up, uh, but then got into coaching and went through my own little coaching journey, which um, had a, a few low points, a few rock bottoms, but from that came a real desire to uh, make an impact on the athlete and be super intentional and know what are the best ways to make an impact on the athlete and, and create a really connected team, a team culture that is high performing, um, highly connected, has a great experience and is transformative for each individual. So um, my research into that of a lot of reading led me to writing and writing led to a, a podcast, the coaching culture podcast and getting to interview all these amazing authors and, and um, people in sports and outside of sports with psychology and, and anything related to team culture and behavioral change and team performance and anything I could get my hands on and the people I could talk to. I I've you know researched and studied over the last 10 years and from that, um, you know, relationship with all those people and my studies, I've started to coach coaches on the things that we've learned to be most effective at developing a team culture with the time that we have as coaches, because we all have limited time. And with our context, our unique context is everyone's circumstances are different. Uh, everyone's challenges are different, similar, though there are some similar common threads there. Um, we have to be able to adapt the tools, the skill set, and the methodology that 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 are that have been proven to build a great culture.
Awesome. JP, obviously you mentioned there that, you know, you've had a wide range of experiences, both as a coach yourself and having the opportunity, to, you know, quite similar to me really, and um, have, you know, the chance to speak to so many different people with wide range of experiences themselves in different aspects of the talent athlete development world, if you like. What, what's piqued your interest in terms of that whole piece around culture? You know, what, where, where, where did you first start to really, you know, really engage with that? So, I mean, one of the biggest things that I, I've kind of really found myself attached to throughout my journey is more around pedagogy and how people learn, more around um, communication and the, and the art of questioning, maybe. How did you, how did you come to that, that point where, you know, the culture was a massive thing for you and the draw? What was the draw to that? Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I was really interested in how people learn for a long time. But for me, uh, not that I by, by any means perfected that. I was seeing an, a barrier to that, and that was the motivation of the athlete, the lack of engagement and the lack of coachability. Um, so I would have defined it at the time as like, oh, they're entitled or they're lazy or they're uncoachable, you know? And, and um, um, also I recognized that the relationships that I had with athletes was, was struggling at certain different points. Or there were certain athletes I couldn't build, I didn't seem to be able to build a relationship with or I wasn't skilled enough or whatever it is. Um, so I saw the, the, the biggest inhibitor to, or obstacle to my team's performance, to me making an impact to me, an impact as a, as a mentor, as, you know, and as a coach, as a teacher of the game was this idea around culture, you know, when the culture is bad, you know, you know, people are, are unmotivated. They don't, nobody enjoys the experience and, you know, relationships are poor and, you know, you're not able to bring out other people's best. But also I recognize that when the culture is right, um, people play with joy, P you know, people show up with gratitude. They're grateful to be there. They're, they're gr grateful for your coaching. You know, uh, you're grateful for them and the opportunity to coach them. And so how do we build that? You know, and so I got tired of every year saying, okay, I heard this in a podcast or, um, you know, this I heard the latest coach that's been winning has been coaching like this, or he did this activity. I just got tired of just throwing different things out and hoping, hoping that the culture might turn out right. And I just felt like there were certain people in my early research that were able to sustain a great culture. Now, it doesn't mean that they never had obstacles or had low points. No, no. But over a long period of time, just like certain teams are able to sustain winning, uh, certain cult teams are able to sustain like a high, um, what do you want to call it? High performance culture, extraordinary culture, as I like to call it. Um, but this culture where relationships are super strong, people feel connected, and the behaviors, the standards are really high. And so I wanted to learn that. And that's that's what got me so interested on is like, I, I didn't want to just kind of hope that things would come together. I wanted to have more proven methods and tools to do this mm. I, I think it's really interesting because it, it, you know within the work that i do especially when i'm in the coach development space I work with a lot of coaches and the, the one the one of the biggest kind of uh, i guess i don't know if you want to call it a bit of advice one of the biggest tips i give them is approach every situation in your environment with uh, accountability and what i mean by that is even when it's not your fault take it you know take it take accountability for it it's even though the, the relationship that that player has with that player might not be positive, take responsibility for it. Because whatever whatever happens in that environment, right, if you if you approach it with that mindset, then you're always searching for solutions to make things better. So, and I, and I mentioned that to, to really highlight one of the key things that you probably have experienced and you, you touched on slightly in, in what you've just said there is that at times the culture wasn't great. Um, and one of the things that kind of reminds me of these conversations where I've had with coaches around players being disrespectful. And the question I always have for them is, are the players being disrespectful or are they just not, is there just a lack of respect in comparison to where you want the respect to be? Because there's a difference, right? And then if we look at in terms of leadership and connection with, with, um, with individuals, whether in the athlete space or away from it, ultimately, 
you know, even if we use John Maxwell's uh, leadership framework in terms of the five levels of leadership, we can say that, you know, ultimately every single coach will be in a position where the, co- the players initially will feel they have to listen to them. Um, based on the fact that you're the coach. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get anything out of the players. It just means they're probably not going to disrespect you. Mm. So on that note, what would your advice be? Or what are some of your experiences around actually, you know, have you faced that yourself where you felt maybe actually there's a lack of respect but, or and considered a disrespect, but on reflection, you think, actually, I didn't, I didn't deserve the respect that I was looking for in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that question because I think it really is about where everything starts, right? Um, and, and, you know, Jocko Willink talks about this from an extreme ownership standpoint is everything that goes, you know, I have some part to play in everything that's happening here. And in my own leadership journey, I kept trying to fix the culture. I kept trying to fix other people. Uh, I kept trying to change the, the athletes. And there's a few truths that are really important. One is that we can't change others. We can only invite them to change. We can't change others. We can only invite them to change. Um, and that's just a, a reality, right? And some people might say as a coach, well, Hey, yeah, I've done everything I can. And this guy just doesn't want to change. They just don't want to buy in. And then I would share the second thing, which is the best way for us to invite change in others is to show it in ourselves. And so for me as a leader, I kept asking people to change and I kept going, well, they're uncoachable. And I made all these reasons they didn't want to change. But the reality was I needed to change myself. There was things that I was asking for them the way I responded to mistakes, the way that I spoke to them, my tone, um, my focus on the results, um, my lack of intentional work and my own skills as a teacher and and, and leader. Um, But I was asking them to improve their leadership. I was asking them to control their emotions. But I, but the way that I handled it was not a good example for them, right? It was the exact opposite. You know, I was asking for them to be in control. I was asking for them to speak with the right tone. I was asking for them to improve their skills, but yet I wasn't doing those things to demonstrate that. And so those were things that I needed to change as well as I needed to work on my own mindset, how I you know, really that's the starting point of like how I viewed them, mm. you know? Um, and I thought they, they were all selfish and all about themselves, but at the same time I was selfish too. Mm. I, I think what was really, what's really jumping up for me and, and I'm thinking about as you're speaking is you've, you've identified that you maybe needed to make some change. Um, and I think this is another area where, yeah, funnily enough, I was really having a recent conversation with another coach around, um, why that coach insists on learning things the hard way uh, and, and, and just to give context it's almost like they're addressing some of the things that should be considered but despite addressing those things it's almost like they don't believe these things really should be considered because if you did then why are you not acting upon them if that makes sense mm-hmm. um you know you, you, it's almost Again, for me, everything comes back down to the accountability piece. You know, right before you look to others for for a, a reason to blame, look to, look at yourself for a reason to take accountability. What you know, could did you do everything within your control to influence that situation? You know, even even little things. I went to watch a coach recently, and there was you know he was he, one of the biggest things he was talking. He said, "There's um, respect is a big thing in his environment." Um. But 10 minutes into the session, two players started fighting. Now, obviously that wasn't planned. I just think about this, you know, for me, if I had if I had an environment where respect was a fundamental thing in that environment and it was almost part of the culture, if you like, that this is going to be a respectful environment, that would never happen. If it was instilled well enough, if that makes sense. There would just be a, a, a um, an element of, I think, maturity and accountability amongst the athletes themselves, even if not the two individuals involved, but for the others to say, actually, we're not even going to allow it to get to this point. Mm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Whether you can, whether you can share any insights and experiences yourself. 
Yeah, I, 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 there's two thoughts. One is just, I think you touched on, is that am I doing everything within my own, within my power, everything that I can to better influence this situation? And when we ask that question, there's probably always we can maybe do more, but not necessarily even do more. But for me, it's like do better. And I think we're afraid of hearing alternative ways of doing things better. I was for years because what I heard was when said, Hey, there's a better way of doing it is what I was hearing internally was other oh, saying the way that I'm doing it right now is wrong or it's bad. And whether you're talking about skill acquisition, the way you teach the game, the way you lead your team within culture, that is just false. And that's our ego. That is our ego at play there. And so the reality is there's always a better way. And um, we are always to constantly be crafting within ourselves, right? Constantly moving towards the best way we can possibly, um, you know, um, you know, best approach we can take. Here's what I, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. And then I want to come back to one other thing you mentioned there around respect. I, I've heard of oftentimes, and I agree this, like you, you've got to coach within your own personality and you've got to be you. But oftentimes coaches will use that as an excuse. Well, this is just who I am, you know? Um, or when they're talking about different coaching styles, you know, um, they might say, well, one's not better than the other. It's just, you know, a matter of preference. And I, I, let's just look at like a hypothetical team in, in, in any sports. Let's just look at big ones. Let's go Manchester. I know a little about soccer, but I'm just going to go ahead with, with soccer football here. Manchester United. Um, you know, to say, you know, one manager might be better than the other, um, you know, is is actually a fact. Like there there is probably a better one. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's that same manager would be the best manager for Liverpool. Right. You know, and, and it's understanding that certain individuals. So we need to be intentional as well. Yeah. Constantly getting better, but we also need to understand of what's important to us and who we are and then make sure we're in an environment that suits our style and our philosophy of leadership. If that makes sense. hundred and ten percent. And I think just as you're speaking, it, it, it really resonates with me because I see so many individuals who are not quite clear on who they are as an individual, never mind a coach. They don't know, they they haven't maybe spent enough time being deliberate and intentional around who am I and learning about self. Um, You know, without getting too far down that end of the spectrum, one of the, you know, just to bring it back into what you said is, there is a fact some people are better than others it is what it is but does not mean and that doesn't give any context to how far better they are you know they said um you know michael it only took michael jordan one extra championship to be considered better than the next if that makes sense um rather than anything else it takes one point to win a game does that mean the team that, that lost the game is not as good or was it just a one point difference um but in the coaching context, and one of the biggest messages I say to coaches is it's not about being the best at what you do, but it's it's about recognizing what you're best at. And using that as a foundation to build, if you're like your craft on. So for me, I look at that and say, right, what, what's the what's the thing that I find easiest within my coaching? Because if I find it easy, it's probably likely it's because I'm good at it. Or at least in my perceptions, I'm good at it. Therefore, I kind of look to utilize that as a, as a focal point to build the rest of my coaching craft on. So for me, it's kind of two main things that I kind of narrow it down to. And it's the way I design my practices. And then beyond that, it's possibly um, the intention around, not necessarily just the intention, but the outcome around my, my, um, my approach to questioning and extracting information from my players rather than having to just offload onto them, if that makes sense um from for other coaches it's building relationships okay fine you can build relationships but then the scenario the scenario i always give them is you know if, if i was the owner of a football club right now and i've said all right i'm going to bring in 100 members of my coaching team 
they all get paid a million pounds a year each, guaranteed, no matter what happens. But the one catch is this. They have to they have only one task they can perform, but it has to be something they're good at. Not what they're the best at, something they're good at. And then the question goes to if that was the scenario, what is the skill or the task that you're going to be brought in for? And if you can answer that, I believe then you found you 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 found what your your quote unquote niche might be. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to expand from there. So, you know, one of the other key things that you kind of jumped out at me as you're speaking there is about being yourself, not trying to be like anyone else. I, I remember having a conversation recently with a coach and he said, you know, he'd look at other coaches and, ha- and he, maybe some of the relationships and some of the, the things that he'd seen the other coaches do and what he would try and do is imitate. But the problem with that is you're only going to be able to imitate as far as you understand. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, if, if, some, if this is natural to someone, if this is part of someone's personality, you can't imitate that. It's going. It, there's going to be an, an, an um, a cutoff point at some at some point. So, my question to you would be: coming back to the whole culture piece, is there certain factors that we need to we need to actually have at the forefront of our minds when setting that culture? Um, as in, is there some core principles based on your experiences? Maybe some of the research that you've delved into that actually, regardless of the environment, these are consistent things that people have to consider. Because if it is about being yourself, I think people very quickly and very easily could fall into the trap of, well, this is just who I am. This is how I do things. That's great. But all the research suggests that this ain't going to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'll share a few few things that we could explore there. But I think when it comes to before you start to establish that culture, you got to know who you are, your personality, what's important to you, what you value. Um, like you got to, you got to know those things, right? Like those, those need to be uh, clear to you, or you, or they're, you know, start to get clarity on them as you move forward in in the journey. But regardless of what your personality is like, and remember, personality is not everything. Character is different than the personality. Character is kind of comes back to our values and the things and we can always be working on that right um so to say i'm a passionate individual uh and i'm really highly that's why i get so emotional on the sidelines that's that doesn't work for me because um you can be passionate and and not be super animated on the sidelines right there's many passionate coaches that display passion a different way i would just ask is your emotions are they in check are they regulated are they intentional you know or are you operating from your personality or is that your character? So we got to make sure we know who we are beyond just our personality. You know, like we got to know like what's important to us. But as you go into establishing a culture, regardless of your personality or even your values, there's two things that have to absolutely be established early on within the culture. The first is relationships. You, you can be a super serious guy. You can be super out. You can be outgoing. You can be... Ted Lasso, you can be Bill Belichick, you know what I mean? Like grumpy old man. But either way, you need to build relationships with the people, you know, uh, where it's a two-way street and you've listened and you've got that connection. And early ways of doing that are through the conversations that we have. And that's what I see from the greatest leaders out there is that they are intentional in the one-on-ones. You know, Tim Duncan, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, when he was drafted, Greg Popovich flew to his island in Turks and Caicos and spent, you know, three days with him. This 19-year-old kid, and he's in his 50s. Like, here's a head coach that's going to go spend time with a 19-year-old kid and swim and hang out and meet his family. But that's what was important to him, right? Mike Abershoff takes on all these new sailors onto his big boat in the U.S. Navy. He goes and he sits down with every individual and builds that relationship. So that's the first component that you have to have. Um just on that, really, yeah. Just on that, really yeah. quickly before you move on, because I think there's some great stuff in there, and I think um, one of the key things I really want people to kind of really look at more specifically it's the intention and the deliberate intention to actually make the effort. It's not necessarily the action that had the impact, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that, 
everyone listening to this, we don't have to we don't have to fly out to uh, yeah. another country and spend three days with a player to build that relationship or to have that impact. But it's something that really jumped out at me uh, last week uh, when I was observing a situation and having a conversation with a coach. There was a player who'd recently come back from injury and they'd just come back in for the first time after maybe three or four weeks of not being around. And the coach, um, everyone, all the players, all the other coaches, except for the coach who was actually maybe the lead coach for that team. Not, I don't think it was deliberate or intentional in any way, shape or form. But that coach did not say hi to the player. They, they didn't greet that player back into the environment after not seeing them for a few a few weeks. Um, and at the end of the session, you could see that that actually um, caused more strain on the relationship than 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 it did than, than if you know if that that high or that buy might have been said at the prior. Because point being. It's the little things that matter. Just by saying hi and recognizing and acknowledging the individual, that it could that could be a five second conversation, but a five second conversation which is consistent, and then sometimes it might be a five minute conversation. But the the act of the intention, more than anything else, I think is the key thing to really highlight here. Yeah, and I think the intention needs to be really with the right mindset where we see the person not just the athlete because if it's like okay johnny is back today so i i better go talk to him so he feels like i care (laughs) they're gonna people will see through that you know so skills and tools and actions it's got to be authentic yeah has to be authentic. people can get caught up in you know, like at first level is like, oh, I, well, I can't fly to Turks and Caicos or, you know, I, I, you know, no, what, what really is, what, what really requires is that we take time and time with the right mindset where we see the person, we try to connect with the person. So I think that that's a huge component. The other thing, just to come back to what we were talking about earlier, on top of the relationships, you got to establish standards and you have to do that in a way that you are clear about a few things that are really essential for you as a coach. You can't have 10 things, 10 rules. You got to have like your three non-negotiables is what I talk about. And I've seen this from all the great leaders, from the Pete Carroll's to the John Woodens to the uh, Captain Mike Avershops to all these other great organizational cultures. They probably have a few yeah, people who have core values, but they also have like these core standards, these ways of doing things that say, this is what we need to always maintain they're never negotiable to maintain a safe environment, to maintain an environment where we can actually move things forward. So, you know, and it looks different in different cultures, but in a sporting culture, it's like, well, we got to have people that listen. We got to have people that show up on time and we got to have people that, um, you know, are don't, like, don't complain. Like if you have, if those three things fall apart, like the environment falls apart and the coach can't actually move the culture forward. So it's, it's trying to find those non-negotiables as well as empowering the individuals within the team, the, the team itself, to then come in and say, okay, what, is, what do we want to achieve here? What do we want the experience to be like? And, and how can we create that? And how, and how can we achieve those things? What do we need to do day in and day out? So then they start to really get and add on to those standards for the program, those behaviors, so that they then have a sense of ownership over that and uh, ownership to the extent that they help support it and hold each other accountable, but also that they welcome accountability on those things. Sorry, there's something you just mentioned there about, um people needing to listen and people or people that do listen more but we need we you know we need people that do listen people that do arrive on time uh, the question I always throw to coaches do you need people that do arrive on time or do you people do you want people that want to arrive on time mm. clear difference right um because as soon as they're as soon as they're engaged and they want to be there they're going to absorb they're going to absorb um 
if they're there on time and they're just listening because they have to listen, they're probably not going to take in it anything unless they're engaged and they're actually wanting to listen to you as an individual coach. But, I mean, it's really interesting because um, I had a recent, again, another recent experience with a coach and there's a, there's a bit of a resistance amongst the group of players that this coach is working with and, and this coach at the moment where they feel like the coach is always getting onto the play, always getting onto the team. And it's it's almost perception is there's never any positives that are being mentioned from the coach to the players. And recently there was a game, they won 4-0, four goals to nil. It was a cup game. Uh, coach had a debrief with them. Uh, he then asked me if I wanted to add anything. And my view was quite simple. I said, okay, well done on winning the game. But in my opinion, it wasn't good enough. Because there were so many things that you you didn't take enough care in because you knew you were in control, and it could it essentially in the underlying message is that you're gonna you know it's an opportunity to create bad habits if you if you approach things in that manner. Reflection between me and the coach was, if I'd said that, there would have been chaos. My question to him was, well. Why do you believe that? He goes, because everything I say to them is negative. They, they think everything is negative. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Do you actually praise the players though? And he said, "Well, I don't need to praise them. They're not they're, they're not doing anything good." Okay, but my my advice to him was spend a couple of weeks and maybe just look for things that you can praise. Because if they if they believe that you've got nothing positive to say for them, they 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 don't want to listen to anything you've got to say. Who wants to be berated all the time, right? So I mean. In terms of, you know, and I want to move on to your book and, 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 and find out a little bit more about that. How, how much of, um, within, 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 the, within the process and the, and the system you know, that you put in place around the culture system itself, how much of that is, is around accountability and reflection for the individual kind of leading that environment? It's interesting you mentioned that story. There's two things that I really talk about within the culture system itself around what you just mentioned. And, and one of those is the difference between praise and affirmation and praise being focused on outcomes, affirmation, focused on the behavior or even the attention behind the behavior. And let me get clear about what I mean by that. Um, you know, a player makes a goal, um, scores a goal. You know, you could say, hey, great goal, but that's a praise. Affirmation is to focus on what they did specifically to do it technically, tactically in that moment, or, hey, man, that's all the work that you've put in. That's it right there, paying off. That's affirmation. Affirmation drives growth mindset. Praise drives fixed mindset. It's one thing that's important. Uh, the other thing is affirming when the intent of the behavior is good. What I mean by that is a player gets upset emotionally um, because you lose the game and or they're losing the game and gets on a teammate and kind of lashes out. I could get really on that player and just be super negative, or I could even take time to affirm them of, Hey man, I can see you're upset because you really want to win and you're just trying to push your teammates. That encourages more leadership type behaviors. Right. When I have to say that now I can also jump and say, but the, do you think that that is 
really getting the, re- I could ask that player the question, do you think that's getting the results that you want here? And like, do you think that's going to have the effect? What type of effect do you think that's going to have is an even better question. What type of effect do you think that will have on the team though, when you act like that? Uh, probably not pretty negative, not the one I want. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like, then we can go and we can teach. Right. But we even affirm the individual when they're intent, we say, Hey, I see you. I understand that. So those tie into this big thing in the culture system, which I talk about, which is at the core of it is, you know, your leadership philosophy, knowing who you are, your values are, and investing in yourself and making sure that you represent that through the way you behave every day. Outside of that, you have to establish the culture to support the culture, support through things like affirmations, right, is one way to do that. Uh, Affirming the good things, right? Um, But then there's also enforce the culture. And we talk a lot about accountability when players aren't doing the things that we said we need them to do. It's a huge component of it. It's an essential component of it. But it also, I start that a whole part of the book off, actually. I start the whole, you know, enforcement of the culture starts with celebrate the good it's catch finding them to doing the right things unique ways of doing that not just through affirmations in the sign mm, but mm. through recognition down to your social media posts down to what you say in the locker room down to moments where individuals may not get the results that they want but they we see the behaviors you know mm. that we want just everything, that's where it starts, you know, to yeah. enforce the culture. It's almost to reinforce the culture. hundred percent. I'm just thinking back at, you know, um, to what you've, what you said previously and what you just mentioned now, and even the story I just shared with you. And I'm just, I think the follow-up f- f- from the conversation I had with him was, I can, I, 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 I'm able to say quote unquote negative things to them and not be worried about the impact it's going to have because all the positive I've done up till now, all the relationships I've built up till now, all the times I've caught them doing it well up till now has built a credit in my bank to be able to do that. And the key thing that you said earlier is about giving them time because the time shows them that I care. And if they understand that I care, they, they they will understand that any action, any behavior that I exhibit within within with with regards to them is coming from a good place. Therefore, even if you know, therefore, if I, I use the analogy of vegetables, right? We don't have to like it. We don't have to, we, you know, we don't we don't we don't have to like it. We can like it. We, we don't have to appreciate. It. We don't have, we can appreciate it. But what we do know is vegetables are good for us. That's the bottom line. If the players understand we care about them, they will associate that as we don't like what he's saying or we don't like what she's saying. And we don't, but we don't have to, you know, we have to like it, but we have to agree and accept because they care. It's, it's, it's likely coming from a good place. And I think that's, I think that's, that, that's for me is the, is the key that unlocks the door to that piece there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd even add something too to those debriefs, you know. Because I think you're pointing out something too of like, you know, debriefs, post-game talks, any discussion after a drill where a coach just is getting on guys and they haven't built up that credit. That's a great point. I'd also say if we want to really move towards the place where they take ownership themselves, responsibility, and are intrinsically driven, we need to, and I'm sure you do this with a lot of your athletes, is, is incorporate a review process that they start. And then I can come in and the beautiful thing is I actually haven't had to point out even the good things they've pointed out in each other. They've recognized the good in themselves and they've also recognized their areas for growth or improvement. When they do that, I can just affirm, yeah, I agree with you guys, but here's one other thing I think I'm seeing, or here's something I think you missed. It could be either positive or negative. Either way, the negatives that they point out in themselves they're going to be less defensive when you just, yeah, yeah, I got you, right? Other than if it came from you, right? Uh, which gets that reactance, that psychological um, reaction to a certain one's freedom. Uh, you're going to have less of that. And when it's positive, when they're recognizing the positive themselves or their peers, then it's honestly, um, it's a greater sense of overall well-being and confidence that comes from it than us always having to say, Hey, you guys did a great job of that. If I'm the only one that's seeing the good and what they're doing, 
and the athletes not looking forward to themselves and recognizing that, then they're missing out on this huge element of motivation and confidence that they can be tapping into. So, you know, that just even be taken to another level. Again, I, I mean, it all makes sense to me. And I, I'm thinking back about the reflection processes that I put players through. And I think the first thing I always do when I say to coaches, you're going to make observations. You're going to have things that you want to discuss. But why don't you find out whether they've identified them first? Because if they've identified it, well, there's two things that are going on here. One, you're checking for understanding. But two, that's an affirmation in itself that you're confident in them. You're confident in their ability to reflect and, and, and diagnose anything around what may or may not have happened. And actually, I might have four or five points that I want to discuss, but allowing them to go first means actually covered point one, covered point three, covered point four. All right, well, now I only need to talk about two and five if it's still relevant. So it actually can make your life easier in, in just trusting your ability to do your job and the impact that is subsequently then already having on the players that you're working with. So I think that's really key. So t t tell us a little bit more about the, the, the book then itself, JP. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's my newest book that came out earlier this year. It's called The Culture System. And um, it is really of the last 10 years of my study and work uh, with the podcast and my work coaching coaches, going on site, doing workshops. Um, really largely through my work with coaches directly, you know, I haven't done a lot of work with teams um, as much as I have just spent a lot of time talking with coaches and we've been implementing different things to establish the culture. So there's your non-negotiables. There's those onboarding program, those early one-on-ones, there's a leadership council, there's, you know, player development plans uh, where you kind of set player standards. There's team standards where, you know, a team manifesto, we call it to, how we support those things once they're in place. So what are the things we do throughout the year off the pitch to continue to build and create connections? How, when players are struggling emotionally or they're just struggling behaviorally, do we support them? You know, you know there's tools there, um, connect and correct and intentional interventions to make sure that we are helping to regulate them, creating, minimize our interference uh, in their performance. Um, and just making sure, and so there's a whole skill set of coaching and leadership to tap into intrinsic motivation. And so we go into some interesting tools there, and then we finish it off with a very clear way of accountability um, that I call transformational discipline, um, which I've kind of coined that, but it's really based on a lot of the great research around parenting and effective disciplining parenting and, and, and in the classroom. I think there's so many great resources there for how we do discipline in a way that uh, emphasizes that the playing the sport is a privilege, practices an opportunity to get better, um, and taps into intrinsic motivation. And also that's more solution-based. So when athletes are struggling to meet standards or when they do something that hurts the team or hurts a relationship, that we make sure that we address in a way that actually gets to the core of the issue doesn't just punish and then move on and hope everything just gets back to normal. So this whole system we've, that, that we've kind of built over the last five years with coaches, um, you know, we, we, I share it through the book and, you know, each chapter starts with a story of kind of maybe where we got it from, you know, whether it's mm. a business uh, and a, a sports team I initially heard it of, and then how we talk about the practical application, but then I share stories of real world application of the coaches I've worked with and how they've applied it at, a pro level all the way down to a youth level. I, I think it's I think it's really important that, that final piece that you just mentioned there. That how does it look across different areas of, of you know um, ages and stages, mm -hmm. and potentially how it might be um, recognizing that actually a lot of these things are quite transferable. And I, I don't know what it, I'm you know I, I can't comment too much on what it's like in basketball because I'm, I'm not really too familiar from a coaching perspective. But certainly in football it's there's always debates around transferable skills and how relevant they are and how useful they can be but almost like, i don't know i feel like there's there's almost a um complete resistance to the adopting the use of transferable skills from other industries in 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 the in the football world especially as coaches 
Um, and it's almost like it goes out the window completely. So just just talk to us a little bit around in what way, shape or form, if at all any, things would need to change across different ages and stages, in your opinion, for to, re- to really set a positive culture. I mean, I, I think for me, if I was looking at it, you've got your non-negotiables, like you said. I think one of the things to really consider there, where did the non-negotiables come from? Are they just from you or are they, are they in, in, in response to the environment you're in? I think for me, one of the biggest things I look to do when I'm getting into, going into an environment is finding out what my non-negotiables, agreeing on what my non-negotiables are with the athletes, but also recognising what theirs are. What do they expect from me as much as what do I expect from them in that respect? Um, obviously, a large part of it is around building relationships. And I believe in I believe in treating everyone fairly, but not necessarily equally. Otherwise, we could be in danger of maybe mistreating people if we do it equally. And 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 an empathy and compassion then goes out the window, which could then affect the you know the relationships that are built within the environment. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, or if you can add any insights from your from your own experiences around that. Yeah, I think there's maybe three things I could comment on. One is you know when, when you mentioned the non-negotiables is first off uh, asking ourselves what do I need from them for that for me to be successful, uh, you know and 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 for me. In a lot of environments, that's I need them to be on time because that's just really important to me. I need them to like listen. I need to listen not just to me, but to each other. And I need them to not complain because I just those are things I think erode the culture. Uh, if I get those three things, I can really be really like we can work towards everything else. But when I say non-negotiable means I'm going to address it. And if there was someone complaining, like it's not like oh we'll, we'll work on that. It's like no, we're going to stop or that person we pull off and we're going we're to address it. Like it's going to be not necessarily always have a consequence, but it's going to be addressed. But we like to do that at the activity actually with a lot of teams where the coach comes in and before they say, Hey, this is what I need from you. They say, um, Hey, what do you need from me for you guys all to be successful? And then the team comes up with three things and then we share our three. So I appreciate that. I think um, the thing you would see across to get to your question, what, needs to be changed based upon age and level. I would say when it comes to age, this type of approach, moving away from the old school methods of coaching, more empowering the players, more player led, more, you have to, you have to, for younger players, you can, they'll take to it a lot quicker. You would think the older players would be so excited to be in a culture where there isn't this old school type of coaching, but they struggle with that because they've been coached a certain way and they've needed a coach to get on them and get in there you know, on their case. So you'll find younger players will take to it easier. So to help older players, more veteran players, the pro level to adapt to this type of coaching, first off is to go really into why you coach the way you do why you are going to do things. Why are you meeting with them one-on-one? Why are you asking them questions about themselves? Why are you, you know, why, why, why are we, you not always jumping in, just getting on their case? Why are you asking them to get on each other? Like, why are we moving towards this type of, not just leadership model, but culture, a model for culture, you know? So explaining the why is really important because otherwise they might say, well, he doesn't care. He's not passionate, those type of things. The second thing is to recognize that you have to meet them where they're at and that we can say, Hey, well, you know, like I, I walked into a pro job a few years ago and I made the mistake of thinking, well, here's some veteran players. They're going to be able to step up and lead. No problem. Like they also coach at the underage level. Like these are smart, intelligent, and I'd put them in positions to speak up and offer their opinion and they wouldn't have anything to say, or they would, they were thinking like they were just like really unsettled by that. And some of it, I had to go back and explain what, what I don't I actually do value your opinion. Like you played in this league for 10 years I, and I've coached in it zero. Like I need to know these things. And now you don't want, I care what you see out there. But the second thing is I had to be more coach led. I had to be a little bit more authoritarian early on and then start to work backwards. Mm. From that. I, I think it's something really key in what you said there is, is, 
really highlighted is that sometimes people underestimate just how much value they can bring to the environment. And I, I can anticipate in a situation like the one you just described, it's it's like that 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 that, that the the concept of oh I'm I'm good at something. <laughs> yeah, you're good at something. You've got information that I don't have and I don't have access to. So I'm you're the expert here. And I think that's one of the things that we need to kind of really think about as coaches is sometimes the players know more than we do. They will know what works for them and what doesn't work for them before we do. So I think that, you know, you started off by asking, well, what do you want from me? How do you, how do you, you know, what is it that I can do to help you? And I think that bit is so key. So I, I you know, I, I, I really start to think about it. As soon as I go into different environments, I, I like to look at, right, which players or which athletes um, can I afford to just, just, you know, not, not build relationships with, but what can I just afford to be a bit more direct with? Who do I have to put my arm around and spend a little bit more time with and really just, you know, um get them to feel real comfortable in the environment if that makes sense um because there's going to be some that are just flex and adapt because they're so used to change there's going to be others that are flex and adapt because maybe the, the external uh, environments away from the, uh, the the sporting environment they're in but something i think is really key you said there it's about the age and stage and letting them know the why And I'm really keen to get your views and uh, thoughts on as they get younger, there's that, you know, that that uh, that parent-guardian relationship that also needs to be considered. So what, what would be some of your guidance around how to maybe uh, influence on that to create a good positive culture in the environment for the athlete themselves, if that makes sense? Because that can be quite a challenge at times, dealing with that parent, dealing with the guardians. Mm -hmm. um i'll go really practical right off the bat get to know their names just get to know the parents names um and have conversations with them as people um when you see them as people they're more likely to see you as a person rather than just a coach and that'll go a long way as far as credibility and when conflict does come up because it will come up um that you can have a conversation rather than just an argument so that would be a real, real a start. And usually we don't engage, learn a parent's name or check in with them and, 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 and have conversations about stuff other than the, the team, the sport, like, you know, it could be the latest match or just whatever, just, just try to be a, a, aware uh, of, of the of people beyond the sports parent and the coach. Um, I think the other thing you could do I'll give you two more really practical ones that I talk a little bit about in my book. And the second one is we have great effects to coaches often send out texts in the WhatsApp group, or maybe it's emails. Um, and it's just very like, this is what we're doing. And you know, that type of thing, taking time to explain what you're working on in the, the training. Maybe if you're intentional about your culture, you're doing stuff outside of it. Um, and what you're working on while you're working on it. Maybe it's a hard loss. Hey, it's sharing. Hey, this is what we talked about in the locker room with with the girls or the guys after the game today, and just sharing that message um, so they can understand why you're doing what what you're doing, why you coach. Hey, just so you know, like you know, I'm actually a fairly quiet on the sidelines, and I'm trying to get the players to be greater communicators. You know, uh, because we don't. We want them to play free and we want them to, you know, whatever, you know, the, the reasons are for that. That's a great message to help them understand why you're coaching the way you do, but also gives them a message around, hey, we don't need you on the sidelines as parents constantly shouting as well too, right? So so they're, through our weekly messaging or emails, whatever, sharing about our methodology, sharing about what our vision for with them as a culture, you know, is is really important. The last thing I'd share is probably the most impactful thing that you can do as a coach. And that is for you to individually affirm and thank parents. So what that means is, say you have a conversation with an athlete after training and they've been struggling. It's like, 
just to text that parent, just like, Hey, let you know, I just checked in with them. I could tell they were really down They're, They weren't playing much or, Hey, I was, you know, they're, they've just had struggled on the, on the pitch lately. Haven't been playing well, whatever. Letting them know you had that conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity to coach them. I'm, I'm with them. I want the best for them. Or if they do something really well, you know, it's just like, Hey, just to let you know, she has worked so hard the last five weeks of training Today was awesome to see her score that goal, but it really comes down to how hard she's worked. Holy crap, man. Like the coaches that are doing that, like it doesn't eliminate all problems. First off, it, it almost eliminates all problems, but it does something even greater than just like pretty much almost eliminate, eliminate almost all every problem. It starts to feed the parent and almost retrain the parent on how to be a better sports parent. You know, like, uh, we are dropping these subtle messages. We start to change the hearts of the parents themselves, which is really for us to really help our athletes reach their best. We have to help improve that relationship between the parent and, and the athlete. And that sounds crazy, but that's how you do it. I think it's such a great point because from my experiences, um, and I've been coaching for 13 years, nearly 14 years now and and I've, i don't think i can honestly say i've ever met a parent who has not got good intentions um and my assessment of it is that if we ever have a troubled situations with parents or challenges with parents it's probably down to a lack of understanding and education around what it is that we're trying to do a lack of clarity um maybe a lack of understanding and insight and perception around what it looks like, because similar to some of the veterans that you talked about, the experiences they've been through in terms of what coaching should or could look like is different to maybe sometimes what is actually being viewed as a parent in front of them for their children. Um, so then, it, you know, they, they, their biases, their insights, their own experiences then causes them to maybe stretch and, you know, probe and challenge what the processes are currently are taking place and whether to actually judge, actually, that's not coaching taking, but you're not coaching them. Or I remember having once had a situation where, um, you know, just to give context, I'm quite a passive coach. When I say passive, I'm quite, I like to spend more time observing than intervening. And if I am intervening, it's quite often, I, I do a lot of individual stuff. Um, I just find it to become more efficient and more effective for certain groups that I work with. I remember one particular uh, situation where I must have been coaching in this America for maybe four or five weeks. And one of the parents said something to me and it was quite interesting. He said, oh, I can see that she's really, you know, the player, she's really enjoying um, playing. She's really enjoying her, her football and she's loving it here. Um, but just um, interesting when, when, when you're actually going to start coaching them. I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Cause that just, that, that stuff just happened. Right. <laughs> So it, it was really interesting, like I said, just to get an insight on perceptions. But then that's when it, that's when it, I guess, when it really dawned on me, actually, I will do some of the things that you've already said. Take those steps to make sure you understand what it is we're doing, why we're doing it, and have that rationale. So now, you know, in, in um, the team that I work with at the moment, I literally get the parents together rough, roughly maybe maybe six to eight weeks, every six to eight weeks, give them a bit of an update around what we're doing, where we're at. Um, why we're doing what we're doing, what the thought process is behind it, what some of the considerations are that have been taken into account. And in between those every kind of six to eight week uh, touch points, I'm making sure I get around to each one of the parents routinely in some way, shape or form. There's no set schedule for it, but making sure I have a touch base, you know, have an opportunity to touch base with each of the parents. Between that, just to fill them in and maybe uh, probe and check if there's any clarity needed on any of the things that have happened or if there's any further clarity needed off the back of a previous meeting that maybe okay does that make sense now can you see what we're trying to do and can you understand why and um and again it comes back to the, the same thing as building relationship with players right it's just taking that time um intentionally and authentically most importantly um to show them that actually, no, we're all on the same page. We're all on the same team. We're trying to work towards the same thing and that's to get the best for the players involved, whether they be youth athletes or senior athletes. Um, so, yeah, no, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent just thinking about some of the things that you've said and how it then resonates with me. 
I am conscious of time. So, you know, I guess as we look to wind down, maybe just give some give some insights and possibly maybe some ideas that you think coaches should really start to consider and maybe potentially implement straight away from this point on. Yeah, I, I think the thing that we haven't touched on today that I really enjoy sharing when it comes to this systematic approach to building the culture, there's two things I'll share. One is that we all have very limited time as coaches. Um, and so when I use the word system, it might seem complex, but what you're doing is you're taking a variety of tools, methods, processes, skills, and you're we've we built it into a thing that makes it more effortless or takes less effort to then execute. Um, and the great, you know, for me on a personal level, I've appreciated James Clear's Atomic Habits and the systems that he talks about within his book to build transformation within our own lives, right? Um, and it's very similar here with the culture. It's, let's make this really simple. So we've got culture system application at an under eight youth soccer team. And we have it at professional NBA level teams, right? So we've we've seen it from, you know, very, very small to the highest of levels, right? That are using this system. The other thing is the, the, the thing around discipline. We talked about the positives, but, you know, I really go into depth. There's a real skill to discipline that we have to get good at as parents, as mm. teachers, as coaches, as leaders. And so we need some tools, you know, to be able to effectively do that, tools that are in line with what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, maybe you could just expand on that in terms of discipline piece, because I think, finally enough, I was having this conversation yesterday with someone about about, about parenting, in fact. Um, you know, I've got three kids and we're talking about discipline is a good thing. As long as they understand it comes from a place of love and you're not harming them. Mm-hmm. In this in this context, a place of care, right? So, I mean, maybe just expand on that a little, because I think... The, the natural uh, tendency for a lot of people is to, is to veer towards negative when they think discipline. Yeah, yeah. The first thing is to, when you have a, a set of type of consequences that might be used within your team for not meeting the behavior is to help the players understand that. And so sometimes there's a conversation around, okay, hey, when we fail to do the things that we said we needed to do, what do you guys think would be some good consequences, you know, to help keep us on track so that we avoid the natural consequences, right? So if we say we need to do these things to be successful and to win games or to be our best, we don't want to wait till the end of the year to be like, okay, well, I guess we're not our best. Like we use consequences in there. So getting in a brainstorm, they usually won't have great ideas um, all the time as kids, but sometimes they will or as athletes, but um, they're used to just the traditional make them run. And so, well, you might explore, well, why will we make you run? Like that's supposed to be something that's good for you. You know, like, you know, why would we make you do something that's supposed to be good for you when you don't do what you're supposed to do? Like, so you come back to this idea around one of the core tenets of transformational discipline, and I can't go into all of them today, but is this idea of practice is a privilege, it's an opportunity to get better. And so, hey, when we fail to work hard and we try to encourage you and coach you and support you and your teammates do, and you still can't start working hard or start cheering, you know, being the type of teammate that we you know, said we need to be then you're going to lose that. You might lose it in a drill. You might lose it. And we like to talk about, and so it's a skill because you need to have a certain tool. So there's a few tools I could, you know, one might be the as soon as that's a, that's a powerful tool. Hey, um, all right. I'll give you a reminder. Now, as soon as you're ready to start working hard, right. As soon as you're ready to, to start bringing the energy we need, let me know. and We'll get you back in the drill. Can't hear you. Sorry. I love what you said there. Um, now, my mind's just playing devil's advocate now. There's a lot of coaches out there who would probably agree with you. Um, but I think some coaches could probably subtly look at that and say, well, that's a reason for me to put, just tell the tell the players or the athletes just to do what I want them to do. 
and almost in some ways, and and and, I, and I'm speaking very specifically here around coaches just assuming because players and athlete or athletes are in the environment, they should just work hard and not really paying enough attention sometimes, or maybe taking the spotlight away from the fact that actually, yeah, they should work hard, but you should equally give them something that they actually want to work hard for. Meaning, if your practices or the or the the activities or the processes that you're putting in place for them to develop are not engaging, they're probably not going to work hard, and it's got nothing to do with them being quote unquote bad kids or bad athletes. Mm-hmm. Actually, the activities are not appropriate, whether they be too stretching, uh, not in, not enough challenge involved in them, um, whether they're just mundane and boring. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there are, we're going to go off the assumption that you as a coach are creating a engaging practice that the players see value in, right? So we're, we're just going to make, I guess we have to just make that assumption here for that point today. I, I agree with you. If you have this absolute boring drag practice that do, players don't see value in helping them to close the gap from where they are to where they want to be, then now that whole thing of like, well, it's a pr- opportunity to get better. It's I'm not getting better. Do you know what I mean? So like, I'm not getting better in the ways that I want to get better. So that's, that's a huge thing. So, yeah, but it's just trying to use what I call what would, would be progressive consequences before we get to that point of, we kick the kid out of practice. Yeah, you're not working hard. You're done for the day, which it's really should rarely ever get there. If we use progressive consequences and we have support, you know, we're supporting the behavior. We're giving them an encouragement. We're giving them reminders and they still struggle. We, hey, why don't you go get water, re- reset yourself, and then get back in this drill when you're ready. And that way you start. They still struggle. You might say, hey, you know, you're below the standard. So we're going to need you to step off here um, until then we'll see you in the next drill, right? You know, you've lost the opportunity to get better in this drill, right? So you're kind of communicating those things. And they don't have to be done that often. But like that, those are the some examples of what consequences look like in this system mm. Mm. again jp i just want to say a massive thank you for your time today i really appreciate it and i'm again i'm really conscious of time so maybe just give us a, a bit of an idea of where we can get in touch with you if you want to find out a little bit more about the work that you do and tell us more about when the where we can find the book as well yeah uh if you want to learn more about my work and coaching coaches um you can go to tocculture.com there you can also uh, see some of our online courses for learning these tools. And, you know, it's not just taking the course, but you're in WhatsApp groups with coaches that are going through the same process. Um, if you want to um, get your hand on the book, you can just go to Amazon or Audible, the culture system. It's on audiobook. It's also on, um, you know, Kindle and, yeah, Amazon paperback. So you can get it anywhere pretty much in the world. So the culture system. Amazing, amazing. JP, again, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, good luck with everything that you're doing. Um, congratulations on the book. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people getting in touch with you going forward. Thanks, man. Appreciate the opportunity to share. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care